Okay, we're, we're very thankful to be here today. And what we're doing is we're doing our second message is on the uh, Battle of Armageddon. You might say, well, why did we read Zechariah chapter 14? Because chapter 14 is pretty clear, prophetic evidence, uh, obviously, of the Battle of Armageddon and the set of the kingdom on here on earth. So we're very thankful that we belong to the Lord and we will be with him forever. Zechariah 14. And we often think of the prophets as the major and minor prophets. Probably a more appropriate way to refer to them as the pre-exilic prophets, the exilic prophets, and the post-exilic prophets. Zechariah happens to be one of the post-exilic prophets. He wrote after the exile. Haggai, uh, Zechariah, and Malachi. They were written after the exile. During the exiles, Daniel, Ezekiel, and prior to the exiles, a number of prophets that wrote to the northern kingdom and to the southern kingdom. So we can turn in our Bibles to Zechariah 14. Last week we had looked at chapter 14 of Revelation, verses 14 to 20. We will again see the Battle of Armageddon in chapter 16 and in chapter 19. So we will cover it again there when we get there. So we're very thankful that we belong to the Lord. So in Zechariah 14, this passage is talking about the prophetic uh, battle and the kingdom that's coming, that's going to be set up on this earth. We know that we're not living in the kingdom now. But when we're in the kingdom, there's going to be peace and prosperity. Even as I preach today, you may recall in the news that three American soldiers were killed, and we have responded by bombing Syria and Iraq. I'm not sure what happened today, but I know there was quite a bit of bombing the two last couple days in response to the killing of these three soldiers. The soldiers were brought back to the United States, uh, I believe on Friday. And uh, again, any loss of life hurts, okay? Especially men and women that are serving. That's why you always want to uphold them in prayer and you want to uphold our veterans in prayer and very thankful for those that have served this country, okay? And put their lives in harm's way. There's many people over there in Iraq yet, soldiers, and we have uh, naval forces. I believe the Eisenhower is still there. Is your son on the Eisenhower? P- Ford, Gerald Ford? That's back, isn't it? The Eisenhower's over there, I know. Okay, there's aircraft carriers. So Gerald Ford is the largest aircraft carrier in the United States, I believe, if I'm correct. Okay, but they, the, uh, the Eisenhower has been over there and the Gerald Ford has been over there. And uh, so just pray for these men and women that are serving the country. So, Zechariah 14, the battle of Armageddon, the kingdom, is coming. And in this passage, we're going to see here a prophetic utterance of what's going to occur. He's writing to the future. Prophets wrote this way. They wrote, they were prophetic, they were foretellers, and forthtelling. You might say, what's the difference? 
Fourth, F-O-R-T-H, telling. Fourth, telling, prophets were raised up to speak to the nation presently. That was the present ministry. But the foretelling, F-O-R-E, T-E-L, is giving prophetic utterance for the future. Now, what I am doing right now is foretelling. I am speaking the word of the Lord from God's word. That's foretelling, speaking out the word of God. I'm not giving you foretelling. God has a privilege to give utterance of that are not within the confines of scripture. So we praise the Lord. So anyway, right at the very beginning here, he talks, behold, the day of the Lord comes. Now you might say, what's the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord can be looked at this way. I look at the day of the Lord as two aspects of it. The first aspect of the day of the Lord is the tribulation. The second aspect of the day of the Lord is the millennium. Now you might say, well, what's the difference? There's a couple scriptures I'm going to turn to that I think spell it out nicely in the day of the Lord. We've all heard they will beat their swords into plowshares, right? Haven't we all heard that? In fact, it's on the UN building, that phrase. That from the, that's found in two places in Isaiah uh, uh, 2, 1, verse 4, and found in Micah 4, 3. But before that, we'll turn to Joel chapter 3, 9 and 10. We all know we'll beat our swords into plowshares. That speaks of war to peace. In Joel, it's the other way around. They're going to beat their plowshares into swords. So that aspect of it, I look at as the first one in Joel speaks to the tribulation, and the last one is speaking the millennial. So let me just turn to Joel's prophecy, which is back a few books. Chapter 3. <clears throat> it says here, verse 9, Proclaim thee this among the Gentiles, prepare war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Now here it is. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. So there we, I think, can see very clearly, if you're beating your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears, that's a war, going from peace to war. That's what happens. That's what will happen in the tribulation. When we come to the end of the tribulation, there will be this war, which we call the Battle of Armageddon. But in, Zach, in Isaiah or Micah, we can turn to either one of them, same expression found in, in Isaiah and in Micah. So we'll turn to the Isaiah 1, chapter four, 2. Chapter 2, is, it, you can go through the whole passage, but I'm just going to read the 1, verse 4. Listen to this. It says here, And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Won't that be nice? 
You know, in our history class, we're going over World War II. We covered a little overview last Thursday. We're going to go in more depth. One thing the United States has always tried, they tried it in World War I, and they tried it in New World War II, is to maintain a state of neutrality. They did not want to get drug into World War I. They did. We did. They did not want to get drug into World War II. We did. Okay. We helped the Allies. And then we got, obviously, bombed in Pearl Harbor. So it immediately put us into wars. We wanted to stay out of them, but we got into them. We didn't want to get involved in the European wars. And of course, we got involved in not, not only the European war in World War II, but the Pacific War. But war is something is not very nice. You know, you've heard me say many times I like to go to Gettysburg. Well, if you really think about it, it's not a really a nice place. In, on July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, 1863. I like to go because of the historical value of it, but not the war value of it, or the war of it. So, but this is coming. We live in a world, we know that Jesus said there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Right now, as I stand in this pulpit and here in this building, we don't know what's gonna happen in the Middle East. We know eventually what's gonna happen, but immediately, it's a powder keg, ready to explode, okay? With all the stuff going on. So we need to pray, okay? We need to be diligent. We need to be on top of things as believers and not in the dark. So in light of this, the day of the Lord will be a time when we come to that tribulation period, that seven-year period, the end of it will be the Battle of Armageddon and the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom. So the day of the Lord could be referred to as the time of the Gentiles being fulfilled, which is found in Luke 21, 24. And what that means is, this is the time of the Gentiles, and at that time ends, that's when the tribulation will start and the millennium will occur. But going back to Zechariah here now, it says, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into, the, into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. Now that, you can mark right there, that's the battle of Armageddon. As these nations are surrounding Israel in Jerusalem, the Lord is coming back. This is the second coming. We often refer to the rapture as the second coming, but that's not the second coming. More appropriately, that should be termed the meeting in the air. When the dead in Christ will rise and we that are alive remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. The word caught up, the word rapture is not in the Bible, but the word caught up means to be snatched away or taken away or taken up. That's the rapture. That's not the second coming. We may say it's the first part of the second coming, but the second coming is going to occur at the end of the tribulation, when, Jesus, when it says right here. Now, something very interesting I want to point out here. It says here, Then the Lord shall go and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. 
What is Lord there? If you've got a King James, what are the letters? Are they all capital? Huh? It's Yahweh. Whenever you see Lord in the Old Testament, all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital, that is Yahweh or Jehovah, Yahweh. If it's L, small O-R-D, that's Adonai, Master. So here, very interesting, I think you detected this as I read it, the Lord shall go to battle for you and his feet. Now, in the proper, what we call hermeneutics, you ever heard that term? Hermeneutics is biblical interpretation. Proper biblical interpretation means to right divide the word of truth. So now if you put in context those two verses, verse 3 and 4, the Lord will come and fight and his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Whose feet? The Lord's feet. Who is the Lord? Jesus. Right? You see it? That's key. And his feet shall stand on the, up that day up on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west, and there shall be a great, very great valley, and half the mountain shall remove towards the north and half towards the south. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains of the valley of the mountains and reach unto Exel. Now, last week we had Rick. I know you've been there too, haven't you? Marcus has been to Israel. You've been to the battle north of Jerusalem where the battle, that plain is. It's quite a place, isn't it? I think Napoleon is the one that said this is a great place to have a battle. And maybe even General Patton said that too. But I know Napoleon made that comment because that's a pretty huge area of land and there's low-level mountains or hills around it, I believe, right? So it's quite a place. Now, it says here, and he goes on, it'll be an earthquake, and then it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass as the evening time it shall be light. Now, Ray made the comment, and I agree with him, I'm a personal fan of daylight, I like it light. I like summertime, when it's light at nine o'clock. We know in the winter it gets dark around here about 4.30. I like the long, I like to play baseball in the hot, sunny weather, okay? The hotter the better, for me, personally. I know it isn't for everybody, but it, you feel great when you play baseball in the hot weather, don't you? I played in hot weather and cold weather. So I threw my arm out in cold weather in high school because it was raining and chilly and it was hurt a lot. So I like the warm, hot, sunny days. So imagine what it's going to be like here, where it's going to be light and it's going to be nice. And, and in that day, and it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of the them towards the former sea and half towards the hinder sea. In the summer and in the winter it shall be. 
So there'll be a river of the, of the sanctuary. Now, when you think about a river, this will be a little river, but there's another river. Uh, Ray sang this in the beginning in our opening Sunday school, right? There is a river of life flowing out of me. You know who that river of life is? It's the Holy Spirit flowing out of our lives. And praise the Lord. And then, notice here, when we come to the conclusion of the battle of Armageddon, notice what's going to happen in verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. Now, you know what kind of government we will have? I, my personal opinion is our government's the best on this earth. That's my opinion. We got fault, flaws. We know that. But there's going to be a better government. You know what kind of kingdom it's going to be? A theocratic kingdom. You know what theo means? God. Christ is going to rule and reign on this earth. He will be king over all the earth. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. In that day there shall be one Lord in his name one. Hear, O Israel, it says in Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. We know we believe in the Trinity, but we don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Jesus is going to rule. Remember, this same Jesus is coming in like manner. Remember that in the book of Acts, chapter 1? The same Jesus that left Mount of Olives is coming back in like manner. Not a different Jesus, but the Lord Jesus Christ who ascended 40 days after his resurrection when he went up and the men were standing there and the angel said, why do you men stand there gazing into heaven? This same Jesus is coming in like manner and he's coming back. And all the land shall be turned as a plain from Jabba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place. The Benjamin gates under the place of the first gate, under the corner gate, and from the tower of Hanel unto the king's wine presses. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. That'll be different. We know that say, uh, Jerusalem has been trodden down by the Gentiles. We know that there's always a state of war. I've talked to some of the people that go over to, have gone to Israel. And one thing they say, if you go around, you'll notice a lot of uh, men and women carrying guns. Why? Because they never know when something's going to break out. When Israel was formed in 1948, May 1948, quickly they were, war was declared on them. We all, some of us that were living, can remember the 67 war. Some of us living can remember the Yom Kippur war in 73. But it's always been a state of war. There's always that in the Middle East. Uh, we know there's been trying for peace, trying for that. But it seems like everything always deteriorates in some sort of a, a conflict. And we know that this is going to happen eventually, and then eventually we're going to have the Battle of Armageddon. Okay? 
but then the kingdom will be set up. In fact, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, actually we're praying the kingdom. What's the Lord's Prayer say? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the prayer that you've all prayed probably many times. But it's talking about the kingdom coming. And it will come. There is a, there is a spiritual aspect to the kingdom. Where is the spiritual aspect of the kingdom? Within us. But then there's going to be the literal aspect of the kingdom coming. Now, he goes on through here. And he's going to mention about, about the fighting and so forth. The kingdom on earth. And then the worship, when you get down to verse 16, and before that, the question was asked me, I believe it was last week, who is going to go into the millennium? Who's going into the millennium? Well, here's the ones. We are believers coming back with the Lord. He will come, and I'm going to refer to a verse soon in, in Jude. We are, we're coming with the Lord. Also, people that come out of the tribulation... There'll be spiritual people in the kingdom and there'll be some natural people that come out of the tribulation into the millennial kingdom. It's going to be a wonderful time. It's going to be peace and prosperity. Near perfect conditions, not perfect, because there'll still be some conflict in the millennium. Especially when you come to the end of the thousand years, when the enemy Satan will... Or, uh, the Antichrist and the, uh, the false prophet will be had put into the lake of fire, and then Satan will be put in the bottomless pit at the beginning of the thousand years, and then at the end of the thousand, he's going to be released and lead a rebellion against God, against Christ. And that will go quick. That'll be, end quick. But that, that'll happen. Now, we're going to worship the Lord. But let me first, we go to, before we get to 16... Let me turn to that Jude. It's just back one book, or one book from Revelation. In Jude, now notice verse 14 and 15, but 14 mainly. Jude, Jude's only one chapter, so we say just 14. We don't say chapter 1, verse 14, 14. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesies of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. When is the Lord coming with ten thousands of his saints? That's the second coming of Christ. He's coming back with ten thousands of his saints. Praise the Lord. Now, what will it be like on earth during the millennium? But notice what it says in verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. That's going to be a wonderful time where we're going to go up from year to year and we're going to worship the king. So you're looking forward to it, this time when we're going to be spending with the Lord? And Jerusalem will be like the capital of the world. And praise the Lord. So this is going to be a wonderful day. 
when all this happens. Now, just to move on a little bit here, it says here, to worship the king and to keep the feast of the tabernacles. We don't have time to turn to that, but in the Old Testament, you could turn to it later. Uh, in Leviticus, it talks about feast. Israel had several feasts. They had the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. They had the Feast of the Tabernacles. They had the feast, several feasts that are mentioned. It, the, the Feast of Booths and so on. In fact, you may recall when Jesus went up the mountain with his disciples, Peter, John, and James, what did Peter want to do? They want, he wanted to build three tabernacles for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Right? Remember that? Okay? Now, have you ever been by a synagogue? When I worked in New York City, in the apartment house, I didn't know at the time, but outside where their little porch was, they had these little huts. You ever seen them? And if you go by a, a synagogue, you will see that. That's what they're celebrating. Okay? And I, I, at the time, I didn't understand that what this was. I said, why are these people putting these things out on their little thing outside their apartment house? Apartment. Uh, apartment. And I, I didn't understand it. But now I do. That's what they were doing. And uh, there's different days which they celebrate. That's one of them, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, it says here in verse 17, and, and it shall be that whosoever will not come up to the, all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the Lord, uh, the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And family of Egypt go not up and come not, they have no rain. There shall be the plague. Okay, so we obviously can see things are going to happen here during this time. But if you go down further here in verse 20, it says, In that day there shall be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. Now, where is that phrase found also? Holiness unto the Lord. Does anybody know? On the miter of the high priest hat. Holiness to the Lord. And praise the Lord. And the pots of the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. You know, the, the tabernacle in the temple was a very special place. There were certain items in there that were, they called sanctified. Now, I'm not trying to be uh, super spiritual here. But as I look out here and see this, this is special. This is set apart. I'm very meticulous with this Lord's table. We do put flower arrangements on it, but I never let it use during vacation Bible school to put over there to put all our stuff and coffee cups on it. Maybe I'm a little overzealous in that area, but I think the table should be kept very special. Maybe that's a little of my Catholic background from my father coming out on me, right? Because you know how holy it is in a Roman Catholic church with the altar, right? Everybody familiar with that? You don't mess around with the altar. Now, I'm trying to, I'm trying to equate that to the same thing. 
But what I'm saying is there are certain things we want to hold very special. And the Lord's Supper is a very special time, which we're going to be sharing in a few moments. This is not something to take lightly. This is something we're to examine ourselves and make sure that we're right before we come to the Lord in the table, the way we partake of the bread, the cracker, and the cup. So there's certain things that are set apart. Now, let me ask you, who is set apart in this place? Raise your hand. Every believer is set apart. Who are you set apart to? The Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it mentions that, that we're set apart to God, out of sin to the Lord. You are a special person. You are sanctified. You are set apart for the Lord. God has a special purpose for your life and my life. And I think that's so wonderful because I know who I am. We sang Amazing Grace and John Newton knew who he was. He sang in that song that saved a wretch like me. But you know what it, God does with wretches? He makes them saints. And he makes them special. So yes, I am, but this is what I are. Okay? I am a wretch, past tense, but I'm a prince or a special person in Christ, and so are you as a Christian. So you're set apart. There were things in the temple that were set apart. There's things that we set apart today. You have things in your house that you set apart. There's certain, probably, artifacts that you have from your family. And you'll say, don't touch that, don't break it. Right? What are they special? They're special things to you. But this is special. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and Ju Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see if they are in. And in the day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So this is going to be a special time, a special place in the house of the Lord during this time. Now some people will say to me, they've said to me, I don't quite understand sacrifice in the millennium. And the reasoning why is they'll say is this, Didn't, haven't you said that Jesus Christ gave the last sacrifice on the cross? That's true. There's no more sacrifice for sin. In the millennium, they're not going to be sacrificing for sin. It's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You got it? Now, what do we do? Well, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Now, verse 15. Look at what 1315 of Hebrews. By him, 
Therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. Now, we don't offer another sacrifice for our sin, not like they did in the Old Testament, because that's completed. And Christ is the last sacrifice when he paid his, gave his life on the cross and paid the price for our sins, right? There's no more sacrifice that can be offered for that. It was done once for all when Jesus died. But as a Christian, I sacrifice. First of all, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy unto God. I'm a living sacrifice, and so are you. You know, we place our lives on the altar. As Gerard often says, sometimes we wiggle around on the altar, right? But we're, we're sacrificed to God. We are living sacrifices. But then as a living sacrifice, what comes out of my mouth? Well, here in Hebrews, it tells us what comes out of our, or should come out of our mouths. Look what it says. First, uh, by, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Hey, listen, have you been praising the Lord today, this past week? What does it say in, in uh, Psalm 150, verse 6? Anybody know it? Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Raise your hand if you have breath. <laughs> I think everybody should raise their hand here. If you don't have breath, that means you passed on. I'm thankful that I have breath in my lungs. But also I thank God I can praise him. Now so often we look at the negative of things. One thing I, I got to stop doing, I do it and I shouldn't do it. I listen to too many of these talking heads. After you listen to talking heads too long, it can get you down in the dumps, right? Turn it off. Watch the sports. <laughs> Okay, no, but pretty soon you're complaining. Pretty soon you're finding fault. Pretty soon you're negative. Hey, listen, all of us have so much to be thankful for in our lives. And as a Christian, we give the sacrifice of praise to God. You know, this is what they're going to be sacrificing in the millennium, but we can sacrifice that right now before we get to that time. We don't have to wait for something to happen in the future. We can do it right now. It says here, let him therefore, let, uh, let him offer the sacrifice of praise unto God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Hey, listen, have you given thanks today? Have you thanked the Lord? Have you thanked the Lord that you were able to get up this morning? and get moving, we got to be thankful. Okay? Get up in the morning and say hello to the Lord. We sing that in Vacation Bible, Jambo, right, Ellen? <laughs> that means give thanks to the Swahili for thanking the Lord. Good morning. So, but then he goes on here and he says this. 
but to do good. Verse 16. And to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well praised. So you might say, if somebody asked you the question, what about sacrifices? Oh, Jesus' sacrifice, that's the final sacrifice. No, it isn't. That's the final sacrifice for sin. But we sacrifice our lives. And in the millennium, they're going to sacrifice too. Not for salvation, but for thanksgiving and praise to God continually. And that's what we do as Christians. In the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, not by our, my own self, but by letting the Spirit of God have control of my life. So give thanks with a sacrifice of praise. I, I could open this up and we would, we'd have probably the rest of the afternoon just giving thanks for our salvation, for our spiritual lives, for our families, for this, for that. You could go on and on and on. And it would never end. Because all of us have many things we could thank God for. I, I shared this in the history class uh, on Thursday night, or Thursday day, and I said this. I know we got a lot of trouble, but I'm thankful I live in this country. I am very thankful that I'm a citizen. I'm a citizen of heaven, first and foremost, but I'm also thankful that I live here. Right? Can you agree with that? I'm thankful I'm a Christian. I'm thankful that I have you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm thankful for the, the calling that God's laid on my life. I'm thankful for my wife, my family, Jason sitting here, and Frank, who's over in England. Okay? I'm thankful. Thankful for our grandchildren, great-grandchildren. I'm thankful for the opportunity that God gives us. So I want to end with this. And this, I talk about thanksgiving, but this is a little bit of a downer for me. I run into my cousin in ShopRite this past week. And a lady brings her. So my cousin says, this is my cousin Frankie. Everybody calls me Frankie in the family. This is my cousin Frankie. He's a pastor. So now the other woman says, oh. So we get talking. She's from Willow. Anybody know where Willow is? Okay. My aunt lived there, and right across the street there was a church. And right down about less than a mile there's another church right where 212 meets on the point there. Church here, church down there. I said, how are they doing? They're both closed. I said, well, where do you go? She says, I go to Shady. You know where Shady is? She says, there's 10 people in the church. And they're all old people. She said, I'm the youngest one there, and she's 75. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure out what's going to happen to that church. Nothing wrong with older people. But you need some younger people too, right? You need people of all ages. But my heart was sort of heavy, saying, People put effort into that one and put effort into this one, and now they're closed. That one's become a house, and that one's vacated. 
We have to stay strong. Strong in our own personal lives, strong in our families, strong in the church, and strong in the country. We need to stand strong in Christ. Amen? Because it could happen here as well as any other place. And we need our younger people also to step up to the plate. Because obviously, as we get older, we're going to be called home to the Lord sooner than the young. Not that anything can't happen to anybody at any time. We know that. But it's always good to get new blood into the system. New blood. I'm sure you see the same thing in Congress where you have older people that have been there for years. Nothing wrong with them, right? But you need some new blood, like you, Marcus. Huh? We're not saying we want to get rid of the older folks, but it's always good to have some new in there. And, you know, it brings vibrancy. It brings new life. Not that the older folks don't have life. And this is why we need to stay strong in Christ and encourage our younger people to pick up the manta. Remember when Elijah was carried up into heaven? What fell off of him? His manna, what, his mantle. What, where did it go? On Elisha. Maybe you're the Elijah that's going to be called up. But maybe there's an Elisha waiting for your mantle to fall on him. Fall on him. We know this is coming. We know the Battle of Armageddon is coming. But I'm not just waiting for that. I want to serve God here before that and serve the Lord with all our heart and give the sacrifice of praise, my body to the Lord, the sacrifice of my lips of thanksgiving, and let God say, God, here I am. Whatever you want to do, use me for the glory of God and serve him with a heart on fire for the Lord. And that's key. God wants to use all of you here. You may say, you may say well, what can one person do? One person can do a tremendous amount when they're committed to Jesus Christ. Tremendous amount. And God wants to use each one of us for the glory of God. And our young people need good examples of men and women that follow Jesus Christ and point them to the cross, point them to Christ, point them to the blessings that come from God. So praise God. Amen. The battle's coming. But we're not waiting just for the battle. We've got things to do before the battle comes. And God wants to use you and me. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, as we come now to the table. Lord, we know the battle of Armageddon is coming in the future. But I know you want to use us right now in the present. Lord, for the glory of God, there's a purpose and plan for each one of our lives. So, Lord, let us go forth. Let's uh, give our lives as a sacrifice to you, Lord. And let us, from our lips, come the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Use us mighty, mightily, Lord. I know each and every one has a, a special place in your plan and purpose for the kingdom, for your purpose, for your glory. And Lord, it's a blessing. So I pray, Lord, as we come to the table, that our hearts would be right as we share in the bread, a reminder of your body and the cup a reminder of the blood of Christ that was shed for us. We just give you thanks and praise for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay.